We are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Welcome to episode 144 on the Crescent Sanatorium and Prison, part one. In this part, we're talking about the historical aspects of the the building that was named three different times with three different things. So there's a lot of stuff going on at this location. A lot of history. Yes. Um, before we get into it business-wise, what do we want them to do? Like, share, and subscribe, friends. Yes, please. Um, we got a new uh, Patreon that we can shout out. P-, P. Boyd, thank you so much. Thank you. He's been a longtime listener of us, and we love talking to him, and we appreciate him very much for listening and being a patron. Yes, we do. You also could be a patron if you go to www.mysteryhistorypodcast.com. Just kidding. It's www.patreon.com backslash we rule. Nope, that's not right either. (laughs) It's backslash mystery history podcast. Maybe people wouldn't get that joke, but it's what movie is that from? (laughs) Sex Sex Drive. Drive, The best movie. The best movie. It's on Hulu right now. For anybody who doesn't know about Go it, you watch need to watch it. Sex Drive. I'm watching Jury Duty right now. Oh, I yeah. I am a few episodes in, and the guy that doesn't know what's going on says mm-hmm. to James Marsden, he's like, you're in my top five favorite movies, and I didn't even realize it. <laughs> it's like the judge, and I was like, oh my God, Sex Drive. And I, was like, I forgot <laughs> in that too i love Uh, that movie so much (laughs) it's so good it's so good it is such a good movie (laughs) um real quick also this is just a personal plug so rachel sorry this is not in the notes but i know we talk about books a lot um well i do primarily (laughs) um but if you are on goodreads i would love for you to add me on there so i can see what you're reading and get more suggestions for books um i got a kindle paperwhite for mother's day and it's banging i love it uh but you know i'm always looking for new things so it's um on goodreads it's alley fantastical just how it sounds because that follows you also make them follow not make them follow me but let me know and then i'm gonna follow them too i read friends (laughs) and i also have a kindle and i am reading a book right now but i need suggestions too yeah it's so we i'm on a lot of facebook groups for like psychological thrillers that's primarily what i read um Mm -hmm. and And that's why you talk about it more than i do because that's not primarily what i read i do read psychological thrillers but i also read a lot of novels and like nonfiction shit that's like I do not read a bunch of nonfiction shit you look like a nonfiction person (laughs) first of all I'm offended by that I read mostly novels thank you yeah I am a big fan of like Malcolm Gladwell and a couple other nonfiction books that are very interesting (laughs) oh well I'm into like Frida McFadden I just hit saw her I'm late to that game she's got tons of books out there and they're amazing and they're quick (laughs) that's perfect Ooh, i have one more thing to say that is also unrelated uh i've been watching tiktok lately i don't really know a lot about tiktok but i've just been scrolling through and i've been getting a ton of videos from the this group it's adventures with purpose and they go to places where there are missing people and they go out in the waterways and use sonar to find cars Oh, and wow. then 
bring the cars up and I have been like watching every like every video sequence they have I've been watching it I don't know if it's like on a show or something or if they have like a YouTube channel where it's all continuous mm-hmm. I've just been watching all these freaking videos it it's really cool you guys they help all these families find missing family members you know some of them are cold cases some of them are more recent but it is just really cool that's awesome what's it called again they're called adventures with purpose okay wow what is really really neat i bet they got some stories i'll send you some of the videos as they come up on my stuff okay perfect (laughs) so you can find them but yeah it's really neat awesome all right what else do we have i think that's it for the business not a whole lot um the second part of this episode on 145 for next week that's going to be um i went to pennsylvania where my family lives and i investigated at crescent we did a 8 p.m to 2 a.m investigation next episode is going to be about more about the property itself what you're allowed to do whenever you go do your ghost hunts um and just some of the stories that have been told things that we experienced all that kinds of stuff if you have a chance to go there please go there this was the most the most beautiful but dilapidated place they have over 36 buildings and the rule of thumb is if you can open it you can go in it so you are just free reign on this 200 and some acre piece of land just going into all these buildings by yourself it's it's crazy it was i think it was like a 100 bucks to go which is i've heard a lot of people say that that's expensive but that's typical for a, an mm-hmm. investigation i mean they, it is expensive a hundred dollars is a lot but that's just kind of the going rate they're like yeah. haunted houses nowadays it's 30 dollars yeah like the going so, rate for it that's <laughs> right so all right well why don't you get us started um in this historical timeline Okay, so in the early 1900s, a guy named Andrew Carnegie, who was an industrial philanthropist and led the expansion of the American steel industry, purchased 500 acres of land in what is now known as Crescent, Pennsylvania. He planned to build a mansion on the land for his mother, who was sick, where she could enjoy clean air from the hill that was on the property of 2200 elevation. Yeah, what is that? Feet? 2200 feet yeah crescent is the place that's on the top of the mountain right there correct me and brian ride the motorcycle up there it's you, and there's like we, a cemetery when you first get up the hill if you go up the one way next to the dam no this is this is on the other side it's crescent correctional i think is what the sign says and you have to go far far back uh, to be able to see the property. So I don't think you've ever dro- drove by it or been in that no, driveway. No, I don't think I would have gone to the property I'm talking about. But it's right there. Crescent. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's right on top of the hill. So whenever we pass by it, whenever you turn right on 22, getting off. Uh, it is exactly where I'm talking about. This okay. is the place I am talking about. I just looked it up on the map. <laughs> so yes, it's at the top of the hill. <laughs> A mountain. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the a mountain. Yes. Um, and there's nothing really around it but that. Uh, there is a lemon house across the way. That might be an episode in the future. I we did visit that also. Um, but yes. Okay. So unfortunately, his mother passed away before she could make the move. So Carnegie sold the land to the state of Pennsylvania for a whopping one dollar. 
What a How deal. How much did he pay for this? That I don't know. And it is in the 1900s. So like $1 is more than today, but a dollar back then he even was like cheap. That. Yeah. <laughs> That's a deal. He sold it to them for a dollar if they agreed to build a tuberculosis sanatorium on the property because that's what his mom had, I imagine. I, it didn't really say that she had TV, but that's just what he wanted because of the hill and, and all of that the stuff. Like clean air, yeah. Mm-hmm. The state agreed and construction started in 1912 and was finished in 1916. The buildings erected were the administration building, dining building, and east wing, which were all connected by corridors. Other buildings built were um, the powerhouse and laundry, 20 cottages, four open pavilions, a barn, and a poultry house. The facility was basically a small town. It eventually had its own post office, community store, and a cafeteria that produced 3,000 meals a day. The style for the building was European and had gargoyles on the towers with crests of Scottish clans cut into sandstone as a reminder of Carnegie's heritage. The prescription for tuberculosis was fresh cold air, nourishing food, and bed rest. Peoples called it peoples. Peoples. (laughs) Patients called it the sand. Patients be peoples. And they (laughs) called it the sand. Patients do be peoples. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In 1916, Chapel Grace opened and was the primary location for religious services throughout the life of the property. Uh, they, I watched a couple documentaries. My, It's really hard to find everything about Crescent. You kind of have to piece it together. Um, I feel like they, they either had a fire or somehow they lost a lot of the records that were there. So it's really hard to kind of see who was there, what was going on, um, especially this far back. But they had, um, in one of the documentaries I watched, they had like this spinning wheel um, for whenever it was a TB hospital. And it would set the altar at whatever religious denomination you were. So you just spin it to your denomination and then you would have all your stuff there for it's your like religion. like a lazy, lazy Susan of religions. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So I thought that was pretty cool, especially, you know. It being... At a place that services all religions. That's and, cool. And the fact that it was like 1916. So like if you weren't yeah. Christian or Catholic, get out of town. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Uh, September 20th, 1920, Helen Keller and her aide, Katie Sullivan, visited the sanatorium to give a motivational speak to the patients. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, Um A quote from her speech was, there is no sorrow that may not become a staff of strength. There is no death that is not a life, which is pretty cool and correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How motivational. Very motivational. Yeah. Uh, So now we're going to talk about a patient that was at the sanatorium. Um, Chuck was a senior class president of his high school in 1955 when he got a really bad cold. The doctor ordered an x-ray and it confirmed that he had TB with a 25% chance of survival. Not great. That's wild. Other names for TB at the time were the white plague because it literally like made you white as a sheet um, or consumption because it literally consumed your lungs. TB could spread very easily with just coughing into the air. He was immediately told he needed to go to the sanatorium 
and his parents somberly drove him there because of the high chance of death. They didn't know if he'd ever come out, and a lot of people, unfortunately, didn't. So he um, was driven to Crescent. He was placed in a small ward with 15 other men, limiting contact with other patients. At the time, he was the youngest patient there. So he was 18, 17, I believe. And and that unfortunately got worse or, you know, at the time he was, but there was a lot of children in the early stages that went there in the 19, 1955. That is not that long ago. No, that blows my mind. This isn't our, the 1900s. Our parents this... were almost born. Yes. Yes. Crazy. Um, So all meals were actually delivered to their bedside, so they couldn't even go out to get them. And their entertainment was a radio that they could listen to with headphones. And they, you know, cut up with the people in their ward, but that's pretty much the only people they saw. Patients were given a cough book, which is like a... What? It's it's wild. It's just a cardboard, like, envelope-looking thing. And you pop it open and then you cough or spit or whatever you're going to do into it. And then whenever they're full, you would deposit them into a like, it's not even like a sharps container. It's just like a a trash can. And then they would take the trash and they would burn it to get rid of it. That is effing nasty. And it's not how so people would be carrying around like goody filled envelopes that they eventually would like drop into a bin to be burned. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's not the worst idea I've ever heard of, but it's freaking nasty. That is gross. It's like a handkerchief. Like who thought that that was a good idea? My grandpa loved to carry a handkerchief around all the time. He'd have, and then he'd be like, "Oh, you need to blow your nose. Here you go." I'm like, "No, absolutely not." Like. it's not rocket onto the ground thank you <laughs> exactly i will use my sleeve before that oh, ever okay. would happen oh yeah. god <laughs> but um but chuck said that the coughing that would take place was like the soundtrack to the san- sanatorium and i thought that was a pretty cool thing description, to say like an mm-hmm. accurate description of what it sounded like oh Chuck's tuberculosis diagnosis slowly dissipated, and he was released from his small confinement, being able to venture out into the facility. He started working as a DJ at the local radio station on site and was able to eat lunch with girls. Yes, he hasn't been able to see one in so long. (laughs) Very exciting for him. (laughs) After a year and a few months, Chuck was discharged from the hospital. Yes, he was, which was rare because a lot of people didn't make it out. Yeah, with a 25% chance of making it. That's crazy. Yeah. In the, in the 2000s, um, when Chuck was in his 70s, he created a website about the SAN, hoping to reach other people who had similar experiences to him. He has since connected with many patients and staff members that worked there. Many of the adults seem to have had really good experiences. Everybody was friendly. The meals were good. 
Um, but the children that were sent there, a lot of them didn't have, unfortunately, the same experience. Um, so on the property, whenever you were sent there to TB, you could even either be sent there um, because like your parents contracted it and you didn't have anywhere else to go. You could be contagious, but they don't know. Um, or are you having TB yourself? And there were, um, I watched a YouTube video about Chuck and his whole thing. And there were two um, children. One was one where his mother was admitted and he was just kind of hanging out there. And then another one that actually had TB and both of them had similar stories. You weren't allowed to talk. Um, whenever, like the guy was saying, whenever you needed butter, you would have to lift up your knife. You couldn't even ask for anything. It was all through these like secret movements. So nobody talked. Um, they weren't allowed to listen to the radio. They didn't, you know, the staff were mean and they would put them to work. Um, the one girl that was there actually sick with TB, they made her do all of this laundry, um, and she was exhausted and sick. I mean, you're sick. And, um, yeah, she, they forced her to do laundry. That is so weird because of the complete difference to mm -hmm. the sanatorium we went to in Louisville. Yes. That was like, they, they were, were treated like, like gold. They weren't even allowed to read books that made them too excited. Mm -hmm. And they had a sick child out there doing laundry. Yep. That's this group. This group has actually helped a lot of folks validate their feelings and share their memories of their experiences. Um, like the one girl I talked about that had to do the laundry, she had a horrible experience and most of the other people were saying how fabulous it was. So she was kind of thinking like, did I remember it wrong? Like, what's the deal? Nobody else has this. But then she was able to connect with others that had that. And it really kind of helped her just validate her feelings and know that it wasn't a bad Reassure dream. That she wasn't <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. In 1956, the facility was incorporated into the Lawrence F. Flick State Hospital, being run by the Department of Public Welfare to treat the mentally handicapped. In 1964, the name changed to the Crescent State School. In 1983, under the executive order of then-Governor Dick Thornborough, the facility was transferred to the Bureau of Corrections and converted into a state correctional institution. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> it's had so many different things going on, and, like, now you're going to end with a correctional facility. That is so weird. SCI, State Correctional Institution, Crescent. Construction began in 1984, and renovations to the property to convert it to a prison cost $20.6 million. In 1987, SCI Crescent officially opened, becoming a medium security correctional facility for men. So it has been like all of the things that are the most popular places to go on ghost hunts. It's been a sanitarium, it's been a state hospital, and it's been a prison. That's exactly what one website that I was reading was like, it's it's called the paranormal trifecta because yes, you're exactly it's right. All three all of those of things. Mm -hmm. That's and it's weird to have, to be able to have like a three for one special essentially, because you have any, any kind of thing you want to, you want to mess with. It's there. Wow. Yes. Okay. So now we're going to talk about some famous prisoners that were there. Um, there are actually two. And both of them we might do an episode on in the future because it's pretty crazy. The first one is Joseph Callinger. 
after his son um after killing his son he left him in an abandoned building um and collected on a huge insurance payment joseph took his other son which was 12 at the time to torture rape and kill four other families and was sentenced for his crimes on october 14th 1976 to life imprisonment and was sent to crescent so i didn't want to get medium facility yeah i didn't want to get too like in depth with his story because i think it's a good one that we can definitely tell in another episode but i wanted to give you the gist like yeah he did some heinous things and that's where they sent him to a medium security prison why would you send him to a medium facility right i mean he he was in something called the rhu he spent 11 years there and that's called um the restricted housing unit and he was on suicide watch at Crescent before he died of heart failure on March 26th, 1996. So it was essentially he was in solitary confinement for his whole time. The whole time. Wow. And, and they actually um, had to make special um, accommodations for him in his cell and put like plexiglass up so they could see into his cell 100% of the time. Somebody was watching him all of the time. Because he was on that suicide watch? Yeah. Yep. Wow. John DuPont is the other famous prisoner. January 26th, 1996, DuPont shot and killed wrestler Dave Schultz, a 1984 Olympic gold medalist who was training for a comeback at DuPont's world-class athletic facility, Foxcatcher Farm, which is now a movie on Netflix. Right. I've not watched it, but I'm going to now. Huh. Even though he was found to be mentally ill, he was found guilty of third-degree murder and sentenced to 13 to 30 years and initially spent his time at Crescent until he was transferred to finish out the rest of his time at State Correctional Institute Mercer. Right. Um, and, and I watched um, one YouTube video and it says he's like the only guy to be on like the Tor- Forbes Forbes top 500 like you know, most wealthy people or whatever, and then also to be incarcerated. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Weird. Um, okay, so now we're going to talk about kind of some catalysts here of why Crescent as a prison uh, might get a little more paranormal activity than than others. There were several stories of guards treating prisoners unfairly, ex- especially in isolation. Now, that's not an uncommon thing. You know, we hear about that all the time, but it actually went to like a whole other level. So inmates in isolation, they started out at a level five. That meant that they were the meanest of the mean, and they would eventually work down to a level one, and then they'd be released back into general population. But at Crescent, they would actually stall those phases in between levels sometimes keeping people in isolation for years when they didn't deserve it. And James Harrington was the head psychologist, and he was actually the worst offender of all at stalling the phases. And he had 10 civil rights cases brought against him since 1995. Most of the men that were in isolation that he kept there for years actually had severe mental illness that was essentially going unchecked because that was like his they they called it in one article i don't think i mentioned it in here but they call it like warehousing so instead of dealing with the actual problem they were warehousing these people 
to keep them away solitary confinement Mm -hmm. which is known to make people go crazy even when you're not crazy correct yep and we'll and go ahead and talk on about some of the other stuff it's crazy they were housed barbarically six days in cell block with no mattress no blanket or clothing the prisoner was only given an anti-suicide smock given a loaf of bread to eat and oh it's a food loaf so it was well what's a food loaf so (laughs) i thought you typoed no, a food loaf is like they put a bunch of crap in, like they mix it up in a blender and then they make a loaf of like breadcrumbs to hold it all together. And then you just eat everything in that bite. That is freaking disgusting. Yeah, that could not be good. Ew. And then mm-hmm. after that, no psych treatment, which I would need if I had to eat food loaves. Oh, yeah. Oh, and it gets worse. Oh. Go go ahead and uh, take care of this next one for us. Tracy Predravito was sentenced to life for arson and murder and had an IQ of 70. He was due to come up for parole and instead was found sleeping naked on a bare concrete floor in isolation. They denied him toilet paper, making him wipe with his hands, and did not provide him soap to wash his hands before meals, and he was given no utensils. So poop hands, McGee. And it said in the article that I was reading that he actually was, like, required to do anger management because obviously he's angry. He committed arson and murder, and instead of that, that's what they did for him. That was him naked on a concrete floor it was his treatment plan they didn't provide him with soap to wash his hands but did he have running water i think that yes they all had sinks okay and toilets in the cells still not great but better than not having running water right (laughs) the what's ta tiny window i I, that was the typo okay I I almost went with it, but I had just screwed myself with the food loaf. So the tiny window in his cell did not close all the way, which led to freezing temperatures coming through the window. Harrington knew about these things and didn't do anything. One source said he forced Tracy to sing I'm a little teacup in front of the board before he would review his case. So you're talking about, you're talking about a table of like, six people probably looking at you and not one of them is going to be like why are we having him do this not great no one unidentified person uh prisoner was said to have torn open his scrotum that's his balls ladies and gentlemen after being in isolation for months on purpose yeah A few days before the incident, he claimed to have heard voices and then started smearing feces on himself, the walls, everything. He ripped out a fingernail and he stated, mental health won't listen to me, so I'm pulling my nuts out. Like, that's how sick these people were and they knew they needed help. They're asking for it and nobody's helping you. Oh, my gosh. Mm hmm. Sometimes. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. Uh, sometimes two prisoners were put in solitary together and they are small cells enough room to walk next to the bunk is what you got um 
And they would usually put a violent offender in with another person. And this usually led to scuffles, especially if if you're in if you're the nicest person in the world and you're in a small cell with another person for years. Yeah, I'm going to cut you probably like that's the way it is. Doesn't matter who you are. No, but one of the incidents that happened there, it caused um, one violent offender to pour boiling hot water on the other one. And that's like the gift that keeps on giving. That's not going to be just something they can sew up. You're going to feel that for a long time. Oh, that's the worst. I know you don't know the answer to this, but where did they get boiling hot water from? I don't know. You know how prisoners are. They're crafty. They they make tattoo guns. They probably put something together and made a heat source. And he's like, I'm going to burn you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to burn your face. This is like a long thought out situation. Yeah, he probably worked really hard on that. Uh-huh. May 2012, a man hung himself in general population after his repeated request to see mental health was denied. I can't yeah. believe that they get away with that. Oh, let me let in me add one more thing. Go let ahead. me add one more thing. So I don't know. I thought that this happened to Jeffrey or James Callinger. But I think I got the story wrong whenever one of the lead investigators there were telling us some things. And the a prisoner was there that actually killed himself by in solitary by eating his bed sheet. So he ate his bed sheet and it caused such an issue that he died. So that actually changed. I can't remember exactly what the change was but i think it it created something where like dissolvable or something like that um sheets yeah for for that reason because there's a rule because one idiot broke it getting the people the mental health help they needed let's buy dissolvable sheets right so if they eat them it's fine yeah ugh and it's it might Joseph be Callinger, by the way. <laughs> yeah. What did I say? James? I don't know. <laughs> but um, but what a I mean, yeah, what a crazy thing. That's dedication. And I'm sure it took him a long time. I'm like, I'm like thinking, how do you even do that? Like not all in one piece, right? So you're like ripping pieces off. You would think you would choke on it before it like messed things up internally. You know what I mean? Like you have yeah. to be ripping it into little pieces and eating it that way. Maybe. I don't know. Oh, that is wild. A human rights activist stated that the Department of Mental Health at Crescent was totally corrupt, you don't say, and needed to be flushed and restarted completely. The Department of Justice did an investigation on May 31st, 2013, and found that prisoners with serious mental illness were locked in their cells for 22 to 23 hours a day for months or even years at the time. It also found that Crescent often denies prisoners basic necessities and subjects them to harsh and punitive conditions, including excessive use of force. The cells in solitary are as follows. So this is a description Mm-hmm. Of the and solitary is, confinement cells. Yeah, and these this is from that report. Okay. In the RHU and SSNU, cells are less than 100 square feet in size. 
Each cell contains a steel sink, a steel toilet, a steel desk, and a steel bed frame with a mattress. The POC cells are similar to those in the RHU and SSNU, but have no desks or sinks. All of the isolation cells have solid metal doors with narrow slots at shoulder level, wide enough for food trays to pass through, and small plastic windows facing into the housing unit's common area. That would suck. Windows to the inside? Windows to the inside to other inmates having a great time in the common room. So you get, like, no sunlight either. Right. At the RHU and POC, the cells have small exterior windows, but at the SSNU, there are no such windows. And cells have no natural light, as previously said by myself. Discovered, yes. In shock. (laughs) Yeah, 100 square feet and two people that you're going to stick in there? And these people are getting, what, no vitamin D? And they're eating food (laughs) loaves? Like, ugh. No wonder somebody ate a bed sheet. <laughs> right. Right. It was probably delicious compared to what they were eating. Okay. Here's more of the official summary of the DOJ findings of the investigation. Now, this whole document, you can Google it and read it to your heart's content. It's 39 pages long. I took out the snips of their summary of their findings. So this says, summary of findings, we have made the following determinations regarding the manner in which Crescent uses isolation. Crescent's use of prolonged isolation on prisoners with serious mental illness has caused serious and obvious harm in many cases. Over 100 prisoners on the facility's own mental health roster have spent several months at a time in isolation, while roughly two dozen have spent years in isolation. The manner in which Crescent uses prolonged isolation on prisoners with serious mental illnesses places them at risk of and destabilizes their condition and leads to various serious psychological and physiological harms. Though less than 10% of the prisoners' total population is housed in one of the isolation units, in the last year and a half, two of the prisoners, three suicides, and 14 of 17 suicide attempts occurred here. That's astounding. That's crazy. Preston's use of prolonged isolation on prisoners with serious mental illness results in inadequate mental health treatment. I love that. Duh. The headliner there. Yeah. You you don't say. Wow. Crescent's use of prolonged isolation prevents prisoners with serious mental illness from obtaining the mental health treatment they need. This denial of adequate mental health care has led to serious harms, including trauma, decompensation. Yeah, I don't know. know. That means me neither. Maybe they don't get paid for sitting in a cell block. They can't get jobs. Hmm. Psychosis, physical injuries, and death. Um, The next one is Crescent subjects prisoners with serious mental illness to excessive force and other harsh harsh conditions resulting in an extreme form of isolation. Crescent's isolation units are unnecessarily harsh, punitive environments where prisoners with serious mental illness suffer under chaotic conditions and are frequently subjected to excessive uses of force. That description is enough. I mean, there are like like rules for being sent to isolation now, right? Like you can't be there for years. Yeah, there I feel feel like there you have to do something really bad and then they usually sentence you to X amount of time there and then after that if as long as you're good, they'll let you out. 
Wow. Yes. Uh, Crescent's use of isolation also violates the rights of prisoners with intellectual disabilities. You Many of one. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I did. Crescent's use of isolation discriminates against prisoners with serious mental illness. Crescent unnecessarily and inappropriately places prisoners in solitary confinement because they have a serious mental illness. Isolating pr- prisoners on the basis of their mental illness constitutes Im- Im- permissible yep, discrimination where it unjustifiably denies those prisoners access to services and programs provided to most other prisoners. So they get nothing just because they have uh, a handicap. Mm-mm. Now this is the one that I was read first. Crescent's use of isolation also violates the rights of prisoners with intellectual disabilities. Many of Crescent's prisoners with serious mental illness also have intellectual debil- disabilities. They are also some prisoners who have intellectual disabilities, but no diagnosis of serious mental illness. Crescent has failed to make reasonable modifications to its policies, procedures, and practices to make the uh, meet the needs of prisoners with intellectual disabilities in the general population, resulting in Crescent essentially, like we talked about before, warehousing them in one of the isolation units. Indeed, in the last two years, Crescent has subjected almost half of the prisoners it has identified as having intellectual disabilities to three or more consecutive months of solitary confinement where they are denied meaningful services or activities. So these guys have done nothing wrong. You know, I mean, they did something wrong to get into prison, but they didn't do anything wrong in prison. They weren't bad. They just had a a problem and they're like, shove them in this corner and forget about them. That's crazy. For up to three or more months. Yeah. For nothing. And this is 2013. Yes. This was 10 years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. Numerous systematic deficiencies contribute to the extensive use of isolation on prisoners with serious mental illness. Crescent resorts to placing prisoners with serious mental illness in prolonged isolation in unnecessarily restrictive conditions, primarily because of system-wide deficiencies that interfere with its ability to provide adequate mental health treatment. Too often, instead of providing appropriate mental health care, Crescent's response to mental illness is to confine vulnerable prisoners in its isolation units without meaningful services or activity. This approach has resulted in Crescent disproportionately placing prisoners with serious mental illness in inappropriate and unnecessarily restrictive environments. At the time of our investigation, prisoners with mental illness comprised less than 30% of the facility's overall prisoner population but represented more than 60% of those housed in the isolation units. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's astounding numbers. Thus, the prisoners at Crescent who suffer the most in isolation and are the most ill-suited to it are precisely the ones subjected to isolation most often. That is a recipe for all kinds of disaster. And they, I don't think I mentioned it here in the notes, but really they're doing a disservice because a lot of these guys were not violent. They were going to get out. They're mm-hmm. going to get out and be in the world. And you are not preparing them to do that. You're letting go crazy people that you created for putting them in isolation for months on end for no reason. Mm-hmm. That's the real scary part. Right next to where all our family lives. <laughs> right. Right up on the hill. The big ass hill called a mountain. They're just letting these people walk. 
you know they're all going right into town. I know. We probably have met some. We probably... Is... <sighs> Crazy. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Eight months after the DOJ's findings on January 8th, 2014, the officials announced that the prison would be shut down due to, yes, air quotes, budget cuts. It's not because of budget cuts. It's because you guys are assholes. <laughs> like, we can't deal with this anymore. Right. <laughs> Six months later, so very fast, on June 30th, 2013, it was closed and the land was put up for sale. Most of the prisoners I asked, and uh, they went to Johnstown or to Pittsburgh whenever they closed the prison. Now, good old James Harrington, who we talked about, the worst offender of them all, the psychological guru who did nothing, he did not lose his job whenever the prison shut down. He actually got a promotion. Yikes. How does that work? He got a promotion to become a regional psychologist. Oh, my gosh. Psychologist. 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 (laughs) The psych manager overseeing four prisons. Luckily, though, I'm hoping he's high enough up that maybe he doesn't really do anything um, because he doesn't sound like it. (laughs) Didn't sound like he was doing anything at the other job either, but they still gave him a fat paycheck, I'm sure. In 2019, so not too long ago, he was found culpable in three suicides as well as further 17 suicide attempts during the 18 month investigation, leading, thankfully, to his license being revoked. However, he was fined $62,233 in civil penalties. How they come up with these numbers, I don't know. (laughs) But he remained employed by the DOC with, that's Department of Corrections for you folks at home, with a salary of $107,052 annually. So nothing terrible. His license was revoked, but they still kept him employed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is he employed now? I would assume so. This was 2019. So write a letter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have a BF. I'm going to do a bitch fit letter and I'm going to send him some terrible nasty grams. We shouldn't send them to him. We need to send it to his boss. (laughs) Yeah, we need to send it to his boss. If anybody knows James Harrington's boss or knows James Harrington, first off, tell him he sucks. And then second, give us his information. We'd just like to write a letter. Yeah, we're not going to come find him. No. We send our hate via postage. (laughs) Correct. And it's expensive nowadays. So if we send hate mail, it means we really mean it. After sitting vacant until 2019, the site was purchased by Big House Produce with plans to become a hydroponic farm. Love that. In addition, they now offer tours for photography, history, and the paranormal and are focused on preserving the property. So those are the people that whenever you give your $100 that some people think is expensive, it's actually helping this farm. Produce, please. This, the area that we live is not great, the greatest as far as jobs. And this would probably help a lot of people get jobs. So mm-hmm. please go here. It's it's beautiful. It, it's crazy too. Like 
from 2013 to now. So what is that? 13? 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. It has become so dilapidated. Like paint pulling off the walls just i mean it's crazy how quickly nature takes things back whenever nobody's taking care of them it's just wild prison yeah yeah so and in the next episode we'll talk more about the different buildings that they have there that are still standing um you know where all that stuff is and some haunted stuff um i do have a couple recordings where we heard some loud bangs that will play um and just kind of go through the night that was crescent sanatorium in prison cool all right let me cite it's going to take me 15 minutes to cite my sources i went to cambriamemory.org uncoveringpa.com uh crescentsanatorium.com wiki swaphistory.com justice.gov that's where i found the 39 page letter if you're so inclined the clio.com um your audio tour.com they have these little like qr codes around different parts of the prison and you can actually listen to audio um of things the audio recordings i found are not super long the, like the longest one was like two and a half minutes um, but it's nice to just kind of get a little snip of things and you actually don't have to be on the tour um, to get it. It's your audio tour.com backslash tours backslash three, six, zero one. Or you can just search for Crescent Sanatorium and you can listen to them from the comfort of your home. Hmm. So that's cool. Continuing on biography.com uh, pbs.org. I also watched some YouTube videos, the Crescent remembering life at the sand that was about Chuck, who we talked about earlier, and him developing the website. Uh, I also watched Ruin Road, Abandoned Prison with a History of Abuse. And I listened to a podcast for the B.O.s. So for the booze, Crescent Sanatorium. Just to correct one of these, it's not swap history. It's SWPA history, like Southwest Pennsylvania. Oh, <laughs> thank com. you. No problem. It's- It'd be a lot easier if it was swap, but yes, I see my mis- mistake. It'd be cool if it was. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope that you guys enjoyed episode 144 on the Crescent Sanatorium and Prison Part 1, and we will see you next week for Part 2. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. Bye.